tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Episode 27 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a show covering the comics related to the 1997 DC Comics fifth week event, Tangent, which featured a brand new set of superheroes and teams who had very familiar names. And today we're continuing our look at the final full story featuring the Tangent characters in Tangent Superman's Reign number eight. This time out, the Earth-1 Superman and Power Girl finally get to face off against their Tangent counterparts, and the Earth-1 Batman tries to figure out a way to take down the Tangent Superman. Because he's Batman. <laughs> but enough references to the How It Should Have Ended crew, let's commence with the introductions. My name is Sean Engel, and I'm joined as always by my co-host and good friend, Mr. Michael Bradley. Hey, Michael. Hi, everybody. I am not Batman. <laughs> Neither am I, unfortunately. I'm, uh, I'm... I'm Chris Pratt. Why not? I'll, I'll take that. Take that. I can be uh, Star-Lord. Why not? Hmm. But if I ever watch my parents get killed and inherit a billion dollars, see me. <laughs> that would be – well, you know, I guess it would be kind of upsetting to see your parents get killed. But the billion dollars, you know, if, if, you, could, if you could get the billion dollars and not the parents killed thing, that would be pretty awesome. Hey, there you go. Then you'd be Tony Stark. Uh, that's true. Minus well, the you alcoholism. Know, uh, well, yeah. The, well, I guess you know if you've got a billion dollars, I guess you can be alcoholic for a while. Yeah, it, it's a good story of art. Uh, but emails. Do we want to go ahead and segue into that? <laughs> yes. Okay. And by segue, we'll just start reading emails. That's that works as well. Who do we, do you want to go with the first one? Yeah, or? I'll take the first one. Okay. Uh, first one up is from our frequent letter writer and good friend Gene Hendricks. And he writes, uh, the subject is Superman's Paranoia, and I believe this is in reference to issue number five of Superman's Reign. Uh, But Gene writes, Michael and Sean, as strange as it sounds, I don't recall many instances of energy manipulation being used to defeat Green Lanterns, so that makes this issue pretty interesting. Normally, the most powerful weapon in the universe is the problem solver, so having Power Girl able to take that and other energy characters out of the fight is pretty refreshing. I'll pause here for Sean to list all the examples I forgot about. Hmm. I'm trying to think of anyone who could effectively, you know, the, the, the more ideas of Green Lantern being taken down has been affecting Green Lantern's ability to make the constructs. I know specifically in like Identity Crisis, uh, we had the fight between 
the heroes and Deathstroke where Deathstroke basically broke Green Lantern's hand and uh, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner's hand or something and he was he was so focused on that he couldn't get his uh, constructs to completely form. Right. I don't really recall any times when there have been people who have been able to manipulate the constructs because they had energy manipulation powers. That mm. that'd be something I'd have to actually go and research on. I'm certain there's probably been something like that, but nothing is really popping to mind, you know, right off the top of my head. I seem to recall instances where like lantern constructs have been shattered or broken, but not and, necessarily manipulated and changed into something else, you know, by another character. Yeah, and obviously, if they come in contact with anything yellow, I know back in the well, Silver Age, yeah. you'd have you'd have uh, things yellow destroying lantern constructs. But it usually had to take an immense force, like say a brute the size of uh, you know, it, it, say Dark Side. If you tried to encase Dark Side in a Green Lantern bubble, he'd be able to force his way out of it, mm-hmm. you know, simply because his strength was greater than the will of the Green Lantern. But um, yeah, as for energy manipulation, when nothing really pops to mind, unfortunately. But Gene's email continues. Um, I like how Power Girl is named May, which is a callback to the Matrix Supergirl, who was called May by the Kents. And I hadn't thought about that, Gene, so very good point. Hmm. I like that character due to the fact – excuse me. I like that character due to the fact that she was Supergirl when I started reading the Superman comics – along with the fact that she was a non-Kryptonian and had different powers from Superman, so this is a cool callback. It does sound like Superman is a bit on the paranoid side. Is this because he really isn't in control of, isn't as in control of the world as everyone thinks, or is it a side effect of his powers? Maybe we'll find out in later issues. Overall, this sounds like a solid middle issue of the story. Nothing stand out, but it moves everything along and doesn't annoy the reader. Gene. Yeah. It seems like we've had a lot of those middle issues lately. You know, not stand out, but getting the job done and moving it along. So, yeah, and I think that's that's just sort of the it's it's always easy to write a beginning and an ending, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's why it's a good thing that this is a a sort of maxi series. If this, you know, I know we clamored a lot at the beginning of the show that we would have liked to see a lot of these issues go on because we'd like to see where the characters progress and things move forward and ideas and uh, concepts get fleshed out. But maybe it would have gotten watered down if these characters would have gone out because the entire idea of writing an overlong superhero narrative is that you're always writing from the middle chapter. Right. You can never have an ending. So I think it may be good that the Superman's reign story is a contained story and that we will be getting to a conclusion. You know, Again, whether or not the conclusion is going to be as, as good as the beginning was is you know up in the air right now. But I, I think that's, that's just sort of the case for having these middle chapters. All middle chapters sort of are are, are by necessity sort of mediocre, unfortunately. Yeah. But thank you, Gene, for writing in. Uh, Do we want to go ahead and go to a uh, website comment? Yes. Okay. Uh, Jadine wrote in on episode 22 of Parallel Lines. I guess that was – that might have been – Issue two. Issue two? Okay. She says, uh, chiming in on the Leah theories of her body not being her her real body due to her light powers – forgive me for saying it so blah – 
While I'm fascinated by the idea that, since the rain doesn't seem to affect her hair, it might be light generating a fake body, it contradicts a little her actual canon birth and the original run. There is a panel where her mother Celeste is holding a baby, and Leah looks like, well, how she'd look like a baby, blonde hair and all. So how would that theory work with that, or how would the theory work with that in mind? I, th- um, I, thought, about, I thought about this. Okay. And my theory is she's aging normally, but now that she – let's say she's 35 now. She's using her powers to make herself look like she's 21. I could be that, you know – Manipulating the light around her, right. you know, kind of, kind of like the way they've uh, identified Sue Storm, the Invisible Girl, over in the Fantastic Four, uh, being able to manipulate light around her mm-hmm. so that she becomes invisible. Leah's using the light around her to manipulate her form so she looks younger when actually she is thirty-five years old and should look a little older, a little mature. Maybe look on the lines of, say, a Lori Labaris. Yes. Okay, that that's a good enough no prize. I'll go with that. Jadine says, also, there's a panel where the rain does seem to affect Leah in the terms of making her skin wet. There are some squiggly lines going down her face where she looks like she's about to cry. Still, I think your theory is very interesting, though, and I hadn't thought about that. And again, you know, it's it's just one of those those artistic things that you, you know that works either way. I think uh, I blame it on clones myself. <laughs> uh, that's that's always the best thing to blame on or midichlorian thanks Obama that. <laughs> did Obama create midichlorians and clones as well she, I think he did oh yeah. my lord he's he's got to be taken out uh, did I oh wait I said that uh oh <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to make sure I lock the doors secret tonight. service will be knocking on your door no, we, we we love the president even even in all his cloning and midichlorian manipulating ways <laughs> But thank you, Jadine, for writing in, uh, writing to the website about that. We love yes. getting your e- your emails and comments. Yes. And speaking of, we have another comment from Jadine. This one was on uh, episode 23, which was uh, issue number three, apparently, because the previous one was issue number two. But Jadine writes, Convergence has been over for a while by the time you read this, but I absolutely love the tangent presence in these books. I went out and actually shelled out money for them, despite me not supporting DC for years. Post New Fifty Two, that's how I want. That's how I want the new tangent stuff, and I was very pleased that these comics did them justice. A couple of odd character writing here and there, especially with the Deidre Day slash Doomsday and Teen Titans, but they were really great. I was relieved to see that the writers actually got them right. And that's kind of what you said from reading this, that they mm-hmm. they rang true to the you know the way they were portrayed in the original issues yeah none of the none of the characters i will admit that uh she she got in and got it right there deidre day did seem to be the one who was most mischaracterized but it wasn't a mischaracterization that was completely 180 to the way she'd been portrayed at the book it was just that she was more focused on trying to get things done which which kind of felt in line with the Deidre Day of the Doom Patrol comic, that she had a mission that she wanted to accomplish and she was willing to do anything to do it. It just happened that the mission she wanted to accomplish fell against uh, what the Teen Titans were wanting to do and it caused her and the Doom Patrol to engage the Titans in fighting them. So, But, but yeah, every one of the characters in the, in the Convergence books really worked very well. And as a side on that, uh, speaking of the Flash book, uh, 
we mentioned in the last issue how we thought that the Superman could be reasoned with. And that was one of the interesting things that happened in the uh, the Flash Convergence title was oh, yeah. – Barry Allen tried his best to reason with Superman into saying – and the, of course the Superman tried to reason with Barry Allen trying to say that I'm superior to you. You can't win. Let's not fight. I don't want to do this. But eventually it came down to Superman – even though that he wanted to defeat the Flash, he realized that the Flash's importance – was greater than his need to defeat him because of Barry's ties to the multiverse and crisis and all that. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that – that I'm hoping it makes sense possibly that later in this story, this Superman will be able, convinc- be able to be convinced to do the right thing essentially. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good to hear that they were portrayed so well because you never know – with these more minor characters that really haven't appeared except for in kind of select – miniseries you never know how they're going to be portrayed when they get pulled into other events with different writers and sometimes they're just written wildly out of character so it's it's good mm-hmm. to know that the tangent characters have kind of rang true in those well and especially that uh all three of the books were written by were written by good writers fabian nicieza and marv wolfman and dan amnett but uh they were also written by writers who had really no connection to the uh, original yes. two tangent runs yeah. so i've got to wonder if dan jurgens was uh basically there to give them pointers on how the characters uh, voices would be or anything um uh, it, it it sounds like he might have, might have had uh, some input on that because, like it, like Jadine said, the characters all rang true. So that's that's a good that's good on both the writers and I guess you know hopefully some of the creators helping out the writers to make sure that they don't sound off off model. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jadine also writes: Nightshade was indeed destroyed in the ultra humanite thing. She just went kaput like a computer would, and Lola Dent was of ambiguous eth- ethnicity. Like half of tangent to be on, like half of tangent to be honest. I personally thought she was white in some panels, biracial leanings towards Asian American in others, and then Asian maybe in one. Hooray for art consistency! <laughs> oh, and as I've understood, there were still some Nightwing agent floaters even after Superman took over. They were just very good at keeping themselves underground, as you could assume from such an organization. And yeah, we haven't seen anything from Nightwing in this series, which I, I actually had a note about that later on uh, in my notes for this this issue we're going to talk about. Yeah, other than but, Hex being around, that well, is Hex, all we've right. really seen of Nightwing. And uh, so we haven't seen any – the Superman guards kind of had the look of possibly Firestorm Troopers, but they're obviously working for the Superman. And mm-hmm. the fact that I, I, think I think some they, of them – I think they were Firestorm Troopers. Okay. They just well, switched – they just switch sides. Right. Well, that makes sense. But um, yeah, it is interesting that we haven't seen anything from Nightshade, anything from the mystical side really all that much aside from Hex and Sir William in the book. So I'm wondering if Nightshade is going to play a little bit into more of the ending story that we'll be seeing coming up. Once again, I haven't read ahead, so it'll be interesting to see if that actually occurs yeah. during the book. And I can't remember anything that happens, so – even though I've read it, but <laughs> that doesn't bode well for the book. Let's let's hope that's not the case. Let's hope well, that's, that's as case. much that's as much my aging memory as the, the as anything else. But. All right, well that's that's a good enough that's a good enough yeah. uh, cover up for that. That works. Uh, but uh, 
Thank you, Jadine, for writing yes. in. We've got one more email, and then we'll knock it on the head. This one comes from – let me pull up my email again here. This one comes from Gene Hendricks, and this is about Superman's reign number six. He writes in saying, Michael and Sean, so no matter what the universe, Batman is destined to be involved with the Outsiders. Nope, I didn't see that coming either, but I probably should have. We do have the story progressing and some more twists with the characters, and it sounds like a solid middle chapter of the story. I do like how Batman is weighing all the options on whether or not he or the rest of the league should get involved. This strikes me a very close of being to the sorry, this strikes me as being very close to the Tim vs. Batman rather than the character that would create a brother eye or plans to take down the JLA. That would be Durgan Jurgen's own views coming through though. And I do agree with Gene. I think this is probably uh, um, unlike the Batman that we've seen in the comics, who is very paranoid and concerned about the rest of the leaguers, you know, going against him. This is a, this is a Batman who's trying to reason things through and think things out more than just being all, oh, I've got a plan for every contingency to make people right. make sure people don't take me down. Right, and that's how Batman. I don't want to say was always portrayed but you know that that was i think the the prevailing uh portrayal of the character before about 2004 2005 you know at least in the post crisis era but yeah no that he that he would work with these people he 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 trusted them uh, but he also wanted to do his due diligence as well he mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that things were on the up and up yes so he wasn't he wasn't planning on taking them down and contingencies for all that but uh gene continues with i agree that i agree with michael that halo is probably full of superman propaganda so it's just like she's telling batman the story she has to access than rather than the truth that probably also accounts for her pause in her speaking she's she's accessing the information Either that or a compulsory program has taken over and it's not Halo talking anymore. Ooh, that, I thought of that's, that. that's my no prize explanation. Um, yeah, because she did have that sort of uh, – she did have the pupilless eyes. So you may have thought that since she's the spokesperson of this central hub of information that she has some sort of cybernetic implant. So maybe that's the reason why her her dialogue was kind of paused and kind of – Stilted, mm-hmm. she was accessing that information or trying to determine whether or not she should divulge the actual information to this to this character. So that that's a good no prize explanation. And of course, that comes from Gene Hendricks, and he says, "P.S. Thanks for pimping my shows, even if no one should listen to Comic Book Fight Club. No one. Well, I'm not saying no one, but I'm saying if you do listen to Comic Book Fight Club." Be prepared for some of the most offensive things <laughs> possibly ever heard on the internet. That's a pretty uh, high bar. I, I, I'm not kidding. Uh, <laughs> they they did uh, a portion of their show is uh, dedicated to how shall I put it? Uh, love, marry, or kill. Where oh, you take dear. take three take three characters of. Which one would you make love to? Which one would you marry? And which one would you kill? And let's just say one time it went really off the rails. <laughs> Not, don't I, don't don't seek that issue out. <laughs> uh, but thank you very much, Gene, for your emails. And if you if you want to uh, check out Comic Book Fight Club, which is apparently very very offensive, 
You can find it at twotruefreaks.com along with Gene's other podcasts, including The Hammer Strikes and The Quantum Cast and Anime Freaks. Mm-hmm. All, all, and they, despite the fact that Comic Book Fight Club is uh, for mature listeners only, definitely, it is a fun show. And it's interesting to get to hear people's opinions of who would win in a fight between like Galactus and Unicorn. Yeah, Galactus and Aunt May. Alfred. Wasn't Aunt May? Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering. I think they did an Alfred versus Jarvis. I'm not certain if they did that yet, but I think that may be one of their. Uh, I know they did. I, I know feel they're like supposed that would to end do- with, with Jarvis on the floor unconscious. <laughs> I don't know. You think Aunt May is just that bad of a badass? No, no, no. Alfred. I thought you said Alfred oh. and Jarvis. Oh, Alfred and Jarvis? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, they were both military men. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, didn't Alfred. You know, have training and role. You know, I don't know. See, I, uh, I, I'm certain they'll argue it out, and they'll be more thoughtful than we could have ever been. But uh, thank you, everyone, for emailing in. It's great to hear from you. And if you'd like to email into the show, of course, the email address is tangent at greatcrypton.com. Or you can go uh, when we when Michael posts the show and go to the uh, comments section and leave comments there. We'd love to read them on the next show. Yep. But uh, that does it for emails. Just so, do you want to go ahead and go into the uh, book today? Yes. All this right. Time, this time out, we are talking about Tangent Superman's Reign number eight, which has a cover date of June 2008 and was released on April 16th of that year. Our cover is by Carlos Pacheco and Jesus Marino. And the first story is titled Superman's Reign, Chapter 8. And credits are Dan Jurgens, writer, Wes Craig Pencils. Dan Davis Inks, Steve Wan's Letters, Canela Trip Colors, Adam Schlagman and Nachi Castro Editor, and the Tangent Universe created by Dan Jurgens. And we have a new editor on the book this month, so that's something to make note of. In Metropolis, the DCU Superman and Power Girl confront their Tangent counterparts. After introductions, DC Superman initially thinks the visitors are there to help, but further discussion reveals a sharp divide in the social philosophies between the two Supermans, with neither man wanting to back down and resulting in a good old-fashioned round of superhero smackdown. The Tangent characters have a clear upper hand and soon teleport away to Washington, D.C. to begin work on what they hope to accomplish. On the Tangent Earth, the Resistance has freed the heroes held captive by the Tangent Superman. Knowing they need to get back to their own Earth to stop the Tangent Superman, the DCU Batman tells the Tangent Green Lantern to teleport them back. But Tangent Green Lantern explains she was only able to cross dimensions before only because the DC Green Lanterns were on the other side to help complete the connection. And if they want to go back, they'll have to have similar access to someone or something on the DC Earth. Back on the DC Earth, the Tangent Superman and Power Girl arrive on the grounds of the White House. After fending off the defense provided by a group of soldiers, the Tangent Superman and Power Girl are then attacked by the DC Superman and Power Girl, who had followed them to the nation's capital. And then it's time for round two of Fighting McFightenstein. Copyright Andrew Leyland and Hey Kids Comics, all rights reserved, with the DC heroes gaining advantage over their Tangent counterparts until Orion unleashes a horde of shadowy negative men, which stymie their assault. The DC Superman tells Power Girl they need to protect the President, but the Tangent Superman says he has no desire to harm the President, only to destroy the symbol of American government that is the White House. 
He then unleashes a purple-hued blast of energy, destroying the White House, before teleporting away to their next destination, the U.S. Capitol Building. Back on the Tangent Earth, the gathered heroes put together a plan to travel back to the D.C. Earth. Meanwhile, Batman has an idea to get the one weapon that will help them win, but it requires the help of Manhunter. Very well done. So again, not a lot of moving forward story-wise, which is weird because we're we're finally past the setup and we're starting to kind of wind down on the back third of the series. So you think, you know, we've got all the characters together, so you'd think there'd be a lot of things they could do. But, you know, to its credit, this one felt less like they were biding time. And a lot of that is because it was a lot of fighting between the Supermans. So, you know, my notes are going to be uh, fewer because of that. But, you know. Yeah, that's that was kind of my thought as well. It's the sad thing is you've got this assemblage of the tangent and Earth One superheroes, and all they do is sort of stand around and talk for the scene that they're there. There's right. nothing really going on with them. I guess it's because they decided to make this story mostly about the fight between Power Girl and Superman from both the universes with their counterparts. So. It's fine as a sort of beat up issue, but I don't think it necessarily progressed the story as much as I'd like it to. I, I, I know we're coming to like just four more issues till we get to the end of the story, and I think maybe we needed a big fight issue, and it was nice to have – to see the two Superman and the two Power Girls go against each other. But as for storytelling, it wasn't one of the – it wasn't one of the standout issues in the book so far. Right. But uh, that's all I really have in general to say about it. Uh, do you yeah. want to go ahead and take a little break? And sure. once we get back, we can uh, go ahead and go in specific notes. That sounds great to me. Okay. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, host of the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun podcast. The premise of my show is simple. I review a giant size comic from any era, from the front seat of my 2010 Corolla over my lunch hour at work, so if you're a fan of 80-page giants, king-size specials, 100-page super spectaculars, giant-size specials, annuals, double-sized issues, treasury comics, or anything else with an extra page count or an oversized format put out by Marvel or DC Comics, then tune into my show, King-Size Comics, Giant-Size Fun. A new episode drops at least once a week, sometimes more often. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, follow the blog at king-size comics, giant-size fun.blogspot.com, or check out the podcast page on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. Whether it's a bone-chilling negative 15 degrees outside or a scorching 100 degrees, you'll catch me, your host, Kyle Benning, on a one-man mission to brave the elements and cover comics in my car on my lunch hour. secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't... You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? 
The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! You want to go ahead and start out with the cover here? Yes. This one really pops. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, seeing the two Power Girls square off is fun, and even if they both look a little confused. But um, <laughs> I, I liked that they got back to this kind of aesthetic with the, the Starburst color yeah, background, I, and I really like it. I, I think it's it's the second one. It's either the second or third one I think we've had in this series from Matt Haley. Mm-hmm. And I've always enjoyed the way Matt Haley – draws female figures ever since his first time that he drew the Joker. I thought his art was superlative. Um, of course, Power Girl is front and center on the... I mean, the Earth One Power Girl is front and center on the page because what's going to capture a, a comic book uh, buyer's eyes than boob, boob window? Yeah. yeah. Um, the the Tangent Power Girl seems to be doing a bit of the broke back pose. She seems to have her body oh, twisted. Wow, she is. I mean, because that's like Super King Kamehameha broke back pose. Yeah, because yeah, but you know, I, <laughs> maybe that's just one of her powers because she is a looks, robot, so uh, could be kind of. Well, wait, a synthetic being, I guess. Yeah, she's yeah. So maybe she can just do that. She can, but yeah, that's that's a significantly you know because I was looking at that and thinking, okay, maybe that's her left leg that's bent up there, or oh. right leg that's bent up there, but no, that's her left leg. So she's. She's twisted like crazy there, so yeah. But you know, I guess you can give it. You know, Wonder Woman can run around in high heels because she's Wonder Woman. Power Girl can twist her body around like that because she's Power Girl, mm-hmm. and because comics, I guess there's that as well. Um, moving into the book, thank thank goodness I. It's kind of difficult for me moving into the book because on one page you've got this really nice splash, which is a reference to. The, the last issue where you see Superman and Power Girl coming down to confront the Tangent characters. But then on the page opposite, we've un- got this unfortunate ad for the Twilight movie. <sighs> I'm, uh, I'm trying not to look at that, but it's just there. You have two daughters. You've seen Twilight, right? I have seen Twilight, unfortunately. <laughs> and unfortunately, I've got uh, my cable channel is showing like the last Twilight movie you know, in constant rotation. So every time I'm flipping their channel, oh look, I guess maybe it's maybe it's like you know the cable channel can't afford anything else. <laughs> it's like okay, we've got Twilight. You know, I'm sorry, everyone else has got you know Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America and the Winter Soldier, but we've got Twilight. Sorry, I'm gonna get off on that, uh, or not get off on that, get away from that. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. 
But uh, this uh, splash page with Superman and Power Girl, his dialogue now sort of confirms my idea that he was doing the no, you didn't uh, yeah. line last time. Yeah. Yeah. You call yourself Superman? I don't think so, girlfriend. <laughs> Maybe just me. Uh, I really hate to start off with a negative, but at least we can get the, at least I can get this out of the way. But the art in this issue really took a hit. Mm-hmm. And I know that Jamal Eigel had a really great run on the first six issues. He set a very high bar, and I'm trying very hard to evaluate Wes Craig's work on its own merits. And I had some nice things to say last time, but this issue just feels really rushed. Characters are pretty sketchy. Proportions are way off. I mean, just look at poor Power Girl's arms on this this splash page. They, they look like little noodles kind mm-hmm. of flop inside her body. And, you know, throughout the issue, there are a lot of panels without backgrounds, which forces the poor colorist to improvise with, like, these big blocks of colors and these weird rainbow gradients that just don't look good, but they have to do something because there's no background. I just... It, it's just not for me. Yeah, no, I, I I can't disagree with you. I mean, Power Girl, the, and the thing is, for the female characters, he tends to draw them with the sort of talon-like fingers. Power Girl looks like she's yeah. got bat claws. It's it's not. It, it, I I agree with you. Eigel set the standard really, really high, so coming down from Eigel, it's it's kind of difficult for me to be appreciative of the artwork in the book. Um, but the good news is well, – I hate, I hate to say good news because that sounds very mean to, to Wes Craig. But we do get another artist next issue. So you know we can look forward to that. Hopefully. Hopefully there will be a more move back to the sort of style that Eichel put forth in the book. <laughs> um, page two, I – this is one of these things that I irked about, these sort of flying or levitating characters. It always seems like kind of a jerk move to have – characters like super the tangent superman and tangent power girl just floating inches above the ground sort of on this pirouette you know with their toes pointed down it always it's one of those things that sort of gives off that air of superiority yeah or you know it's sort of a way to diminish the other characters I'm floating here above the ground I'm not deigning to touch the ground that you mere mortals walk on that's kind of the vibe I get from the Superman unfortunately especially when he does that now granted our Superman is doing it as well right now but it looks like he's touching down for a landing Mm -hmm. so and if you look at the panels on the side in like the just just the four panels there. The third panel down, it looks like the DC Superman is taller than the Tangent Superman. But if you go to the next panel, it looks like the Tangent Superman has raised up. Mm-hmm. It looks so like he's the- probably floating higher. And we don't see any more panels of them, you know, side by side. So you can't yeah. really tell for sure. But well, and you, you can't. You could make the assumption that Superman, that both the Superman still might be floating. But it looks like in order to show that he's more imposing, the tangent Superman is rising up to look right. taller than the Superman in that fourth panel. I, I do like also on that page, this is Dan Jurgens doing a great job with the storytelling, defining the difference between these two characters. In, yes. in, the, third, in the third panel, we've got Superman saying, thanks, we could always lend a hand 
or, or we can always use a hand. You know, that's the Superman saying we're willing to take help from anyone who's willing to offer it. But in that fourth panel, we get the difference between the two characters as as the Earth One Superman says, man governs himself and makes mistakes, but we respect the right of self-determination. And then the Tangent Superman says, this is first and your this is your first and most egregious mistake. That's the basic difference. The the new earth that the Earth One Superman is there to allow mankind to progress normally on its own. If there are any big events that they can't take care of, he's willing to step in and help. Mm-hmm. The Tangent Superman is much like Doctor Doom, and he wants to run things his way. He wants the same. He wants the same outcome for the people of Earth, but he wants to have his outcome, or his uh, he he wants to affect his outcome for the people of Earth. I guess. Yeah, yeah. This starts out as a really interesting comparison of the two characters. You know, the the tangent Superman talks about how he uh, he he became known as Superman due to his exploits. Uh, all of which helped those who needed it. And that's a description that could be, quite honestly, applied to either character. But then they get into, and, and, you know, Superman and Power Girl arrive, and, and they're not... How do I want to say this? Neither set of character is really being the aggressor in the situation. But then they get into this conversation, which starts out pretty civil about their different social philosophies. And, you know, we keep saying this, but... I just love the way they've characterized the Tangent Superman because he's not wrong. Yeah, it's easy to say he's taken it too far, but he's not wrong in what he's trying to do. He's not wrong in wanting to eliminate the racial cleansing and genocide and such and, and make sure people have you know food to eat and places to stay. But he's just forcefully asserting his – you know is forcefully asserting his own will – over the people's ability to have free will and commit these horrible acts anyway, is that any less morally wrong? Mm. So there's just a lot to think about here. Yeah, and that's – again, that's a sign of a great writer that he's he's allowing these two different ideals to be portrayed. And essentially, depending upon how you view helping society, either one could be an effective way of – uh, of doing the right thing. The tangent Superman has just, you know, it's kind of like the concepts of socialism and capitalism. Uh, socialism, you know, I, I see this tangent Superman more as a socialist d- defined character in that he wants everything provided for people and that he's going to provide it and make sure that there is no, uh, that, that everyone gets the same amount and everyone is equal in in all things while the tangent superman or while the earth one superman is like he's going to allow man to dictate their own goals and achieve them as they want right so it's it, it's it's interesting writing and it's interesting that jurgens is portraying these two social concepts between these two characters really well mm-hmm. and and not Maybe you feel differently about this, but it doesn't seem he's trying to make a political statement out of it either, which I appreciate it. He's just presenting them for – presenting the characters for how they are. 
Yeah, it, and that's what I that's the one thing that I do enjoy. He's not saying this is right and this is wrong. He's just putting the two ideas out there right. and and letting it be a part of the story element. He's not trying to push any agenda, which is so often in comics writers tend to want to do. They want to try and push, oh, obviously Tony Stark is the bad one because he's got uh, these sort of plans. He wants to and obviously Captain America is the good one because he's got these sort of plans. So I'm glad there's no – and again, I'm talking about Bark Miller and Civil War. Sorry, folks. <clears throat> but uh, there's – these plan- these ideas are just put out here as part of the story. It's not to set an agenda, and I like that. I appreciate that. Uh, where's your next note then? Um, well, I had two more just little uh, minor notes on this page. Um, on page two, we get Schuster Drive, like right in the center of the panel. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Street sign. Mm-hmm. And then I also liked the guy in the far background using his camera phone to take a picture. You see a little click? Oh, yeah. I, I thought that that, that I was I didn't even funny. see that. Well, and wouldn't that be what you'd be doing if you, exactly. know, you yeah. saw you know if you saw two superpowered people? I mean, now granted, Superman appearing in Metropolis is that big a thing, but when Superman's appearing in Metropolis against someone who is calling himself Superman, mm-hmm. there is the possibility that the smackdown is going to occur, and obviously it will here in the next couple of pages. Yeah. Um, but my next uh, actual note's not over to page seven. Okay, I've got a, I've got one on page five. Um, I was wondering if Tangent Superman manipulating the bus and throwing that into Superman was kind of a nod to what happened in Superman two, um, and also if oh, it was a way if it was a way for uh, the Tangent Superman to delay the Earth One Superman, and if there were people on this bus because obviously the tangent Superman or obviously the earth one Superman would want to make sure that none of those people came to harm and he'd mm-hmm. take time trying to rescue them. And that was the delaying tactic that the tangent Superman used against him. But I, I, I kind of saw that as a sort of homage to the uh, Superman two thing. It's a good call. What'd you have on page seven? Um, with, with respect to Batman, Wally's not making a stupid comment here. I mean, Batman knows heroes from the Tangent Universe went to the DCU and back before, and two groups of heroes from the DC Universe have come to the Tangent Universe, including Batman, so let's not act incredulous about the idea of interdimensional travel, especially by it being as redonkulously powerful as the Tangent Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I will agree. You know, the, the, It does seem a bit out of character for Batman to be like, oh, that's impossible. I thought the crossing dimensional barriers couldn't happen yeah but you know uh, obviously it has you've gotten here you're here so yeah <laughs> you know they've come over to you your, your universe obviously it's not impossible it's just impractical maybe <laughs> my kind of thought was it seemed like west craig was drawing more was drawing wally to be more like bart and I don't know. He just looks a bit too juvenile, yeah. even for Wally West. It, it's not, it's not a sticking point, but Wally just looks kind of goofy, especially on page eight, that top panel where <laughs> Leah's sort of dressing him down, yeah. and Batman's giving him the the the, the Dark Knight death stare. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, I will admit on panel six, you know, Batman says, you know, we're going to try and contact someone else on Earth. I've got to assume he's going to have to contact a Green Lantern. So it's got to be Guy Gardner. Yes. Go. Batman's going to have to talk to Guy Gardner and Guy Gardner's going to have to pull Batman's bacon out of the fire as he usually would because Guy Gardner is awesome. Sorry, that's just me making commentary. One punch. Still, still, still irritated about that one punch. <laughs> still irritated. It's been, it's been what, 30 years now almost? Uh, oh, gosh. It, it, it had yeah, to be 86. That was, that was 86 or yeah. 87. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, almost three, 30 years. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, next note. Uh, not till over to 15. Okay. A lot of fighting uh, that I didn't have yeah. much to say about. I've got one on page 10. I like the image of Superman punching out uh, the tangent Superman. It's dynamic. Oh, that like half page. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it, it's good to see Superman just take on someone that he, that he could unload on, put, unload on. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of wondering, honestly, if it wasn't for the TK force field that Harvey had put up, would this Superman basically have punched his skull in? Because we're not looking at a Superman who's from another world and has indestructible skin and can't be penetrated by bullets or anything. He's just a human who has these telekinetic powers. Would he be able to withstand a punch from Superman if he didn't have his TK4 shield up? I don't know. There you Although, go. Sir. Like if you go back to the very, the very first Superman issue, he got shot in that issue. Hmm. Did the bullets bounce off of him, or did he did, or was it like a, a rapid healing type of situation? I'm not recalling. We may have to go look back at that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it is essentially just a bunch of you know what Thomas DJ would say: punchy, punchy, run, run. Yeah. You know, it's you know obviously Superman or Tangent Superman was phased by the fact that you know Cal had heat vision, which was a nice way for him to show that he's also got different powers than him so what was i i think after that what was your note on uh 15 uh my note was holy shit he just blew up the white house yeah i mean that's first of all the white house isn't just the home for the president and his family Mm -hmm. there there are dozens of people i'm certain hundreds of people working there there's cooks there's chefs there's chiefs of staff there's you know if this is actually happening during you know we're assuming it's happening at night so there may not be as many people there but yeah he just blew up the white house there's got to be a significant amount of people dead in there yeah although he says he doesn't want to harm the president so if the president is in the white house maybe he had some way to shield them and just destroy the building i don't possibly maybe he had my thought my sort of no prize thought is maybe he had orion sort of teleport him out of there yeah uh, uh, but even if he only had the president teleported out, what about the president's family? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if we're assuming this is 2008, we've got to be assuming President Obama. Um, did he teleport his family out? Is Michelle Obama alive? Is you know, or I guess Earth One president, whoever, essentially would have been. But but yeah, that's you just don't go blowing up a building and expect not to have loss of life especially a building occupied that we know is going to be occupied by a lot of people it's 
it kind of belies the fact that he's trying to be benevolent about all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's others, other ways. You know, if he had destroyed the Washington Monument, maybe that would have been a depiction of his power taking down, you know, iconic, iconographic ideals of this government. But blowing up the White House, you're obviously going to be killing some people. Yeah. And, and, and then you get on, I guess, page 16, that uh, final panel of Superman staring at the the White House or the Capitol building being blown up. and just It's a nice panel. Yeah. It, it shows that that this, this tangent Superman is it, it isn't going to be helpful and it's going to be difficult to take him down. And he's someone to be taken seriously. Yeah. Um, my last notes on page 17, I guess my assumption is Batman's going to work something in with Halo. Uh, I wonder if to work Halo out. was what he was going after as well. I couldn't you think know, of I, anything else. And, you know, again, it's kind of my thought that, you know, when Halo sort of slowed down her speech about when talking about Lola, that maybe he's going to confront Halo once again and try and find out about Lola and use Lola as sort of a trump card to try and get Superman to be reasonable about what he's doing in not only the tangent Earth, but on Earth to Earth one right now. Right. That that's my thought, but again, haven't read ahead, so I'm I will be interested to see how this turns out as well. But he has a plan. You know why? Because he's Batman. He's Batman. Uh, thank you how it should have ended <laughs> never uh, gets old it never does uh, well you ready to move on to the second story yep let's All do right. this well this is history lesson chapter 8 and credits are Ron Mars writer Andy Tong pencils Mark McKenna inks Dom Reagan colors Steve Wan's letters Nachi Castro and Adam Schlagman editors continuing on from the last issue Guy is skeptical about Jenny's plan she tells him they want to put the power back in the hands of the people, and that Guy is telling them more about the superpowered beings of the world so they know who to recruit. And speaking of, Batman is the next subject they want to know more about. Guy tells how he's supposedly Sir William, a disgraced knight from King Arthur's Camelot, cursed with being unable to leave his London castle until he's atoned for his sins. William projects his spirit into the empty armor of the Batman, performing good deeds to earn his freedom. Guy then starts to freak out that the Superman might find them. Jenny reassures him that the former Nightwing facility is shielded and that they'll be okay because Superman's not a god. And Guy responds, that's what you think. Yeah, again, <laughs> it's we sound like a broken record here, but this is really nothing new for us. I mean, yeah. it's a nice... It's a nice recap for anyone who hasn't read the original Tangent books or has, you know, kind of forgotten about, you know, the Tangent books over the 10 years since they've been published. But again, the artwork isn't bad. It's a change from Fernando Perseron of last time. Of course, I still don't understand why Jenny's in her sexy workout gear, but. I'm not going to complain about it because it's sexy workout gear. and Sexy workout gear that has ridden lower on her hips. Yeah, they do seem to be sliding down a bit more. And, you know, the, I guess that was the style at the time, whatever. I don't know if you could actually work out in that. There might be some 
issues of <laughs> things popping out. Let's, but let's, let's move on. That's yes. Um, the the only real notes I have uh, on the first page of that, I guess, page eighteen, um, panel four. What is it? Yeah, it looks like uh, Jenny is intentionally pointing her knife at uh, Guy's groin, and uh-huh. Guy definitely knows it. Uh, so um, I think she, I think Guy's feeling that he might have gotten a little bit over his head here. But other than that, the only other note I have is uh, the splash page they have with the Batman on there. Looks that's good. that's really gorgeous, yeah. you know. And that's that's a good job with the background of you know. I guess that's got to be Big Ben because it's Tower of London. And the the tangent Batman looks great. Although well, I've heard that no matter where you are in London, you can see Big Ben. Well, I think that's I think that's uh, you know stereotypical for any city in in Europe. I mean, if you're in Paris, <laughs> you can automatically see right out your window. You can see the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. I'm certain if you're in uh, Moscow, you can see Red Square from anywhere in Moscow. It's just it's just the way the the cities are set out. So you know the fact that Big great, Ben great would planning. be planning. Well, Urban yeah, planning. That, yeah, urban planning is was was high on the uh, on the list of things to do for a bunch of uh, European engineers. So well done, well done, <laughs> Europe. No, but uh, it is a good splash page, and you know it is a bit impractical that he, you know, his left foot it looks like it's hanging off the side of this, you know, gargoyle stewn tower or anything. Uh-huh. Looks like it might be, you know, I, I'm hoping he's got good soles on there because he could slip really well, but. You know he's got the power of flight, so it wouldn't be a problem if he yeah. slipped and fell. But yeah, again, nothing really much to say, but a, a good story to sort of keep the uh, progression of backup tales going. The birds flying off a of Big Ben kind of echo this kind of same iconic shot for the DC Batman, with where it would be bats flying off of uh, a clock tower or whatever he's near. Oh yeah, it's it's a good image. I like it. Yeah. But that's all we have for this time. Next time out, we're going to be taking a look at the uh, next chapter or the next book, issue number nine. And we'll be seeing what happens with uh, Batman trying to figure out uh, something to take down the tangent Superman and whether or not uh, the president made it out of the White House alive. I'm hoping he did because otherwise tangent Superman was a giant killer, which – doesn't bode well for him. No. But thanks, everyone, for downloading and listening. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to send in feedback, again, you can send it to the website, Great Krypton, or tangent at greatcrypton.com. We love reading on the air. But uh, if that's all you have, that's all I have to say about it. Anything you have to say, Michael? I think I'm good. Be sure be sure to leave iTunes reviews, too. It's been oh, a yes. while since we've had any of those. So. Yes, iTunes reviews are great. We really appreciate all of them. So thank you all for downloading and listening, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Parallel Line. Until then, have a good week, everyone. Bye, everyone. finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. 
the show can be downloaded from a variety of places. Most notably, Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. A very special thank you to Professor Alan Middleton for providing this episode's intro. Alan is host of the Quarterbin podcast and co-host of the Shortbox Showcase. Be sure to check out these and all the shows on the Relatively Geeky Network at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com.